Hey, can I get another drink down here? I've been to prison once. I've been married twice. I was once drafted by Lyndon Johnson and had to live in shit-ass Mexico for two and a half years for no reason. I've had my eye socket punched in, a kidney taken out, and I got a bone chip in my ankle that's never gonna heal. I've seen some pretty shitty situations in my life, but nothing has ever sucked more ass than this. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? It's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically, we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 195. And our movie this week was 2003's Bad Santa. And joining me to talk about it, because he had never seen it before, it's Joe Hood. Joe, how you doing? I am well, Travis. How are you doing? Not too bad. So, all right. You'd never seen Bad Santa before. Um, were you familiar with it at all? Did you kind of have any idea? Vaguely familiar with it. So okay. it, anyone who's seeing the video, I've got my Santa hat on. So does Ponce de Leon behind me. Um, uh, the Hood household goes hard for Christmas. We we decorate all out. Uh, we sing the only music allowed in the house from the day after Thanksgiving until New Year's Day is Christmas carols. We're serious about Christmas. I was vaguely aware of this movie, and I was looking back, actually, at the various movies we've watched together for this show, and I've realized Mm -hmm. lots of them were movies that I hadn't seen, mainly because I was like, oh, that's interesting, but I don't know that it's for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was always my thought about Bad Santa. Sure. Um, And the movie did not not change my opinion (laughs) on that regard. (laughs) So, okay, so Bad Santa, 2003, stars Billy Bob Thornton, um, Tony Cox, and uh, Bernie Mac, as well as John Ritter um, is in there, and uh, what is her name? Uh, I just called her Gillimore Girl in my notes, but... Yes. um, Uh, Lauren Graham. Lauren Graham. Uh, And it's about a department store at Santa Claus... um, and I use the terms, I use the name Santa Claus very loosely, uh, who, along with his elf partner, rob department stores every year. That's, that's mm-hmm. the gist of it. He's a alcoholic, sexaholic, uh, chain smoking, foul mouthed Santa Claus. Um, this would have been right around the time that he was doing Bad News Bears, too, I think, Billy Bob Thornton had. Oh, interesting. Um, I want to say it was right in that same kind of early 2000s uh, thing. And it was directed by Terry Zwigoff and uh, written by Glenn Ficara and John Requa and executive produced by the Coen brothers. Um, it, is, it is a crass, uh, crass comedy, to say the least. It, it, it's interesting, though. There are no, well, with the exception of um, Brett Kelly as the kid, a.k.a. Thurman Merman, uh, mm-hmm. There are no likable characters in this movie at all. Um, maybe, uh, maybe Bob, uh, um, uh, Bob Chapeska. But even oh, he's uh, like, John Ritter's Ritter, character. Ritter. But even he's he like was, kind of not. He was barely a character. Uh, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, I would say Lauren Graham's character. Um, she was also 
mostly she was likable. She was never did anything unlikable, but I'm not. She didn't have a lot of dimension to her. No, as well. Um, no. Yeah, there was a lot of. Go ahead. There was a lot of unlikability <laughs> floating around to the point where, um, you know, there's that one moment Bernie Mac, who's playing the head of security for the mall, yep, steals a kid's mp3 player which i am pretty sure on the screen was actually a tamagotchi that they just I, said was a i think mp3 so. player <laughs> uh but like i thought well and it turns out plot wise he was as uh non-upstanding of a security officer as he played out to be i mean his yeah. his character arc actually was the probably the <laughs> the most thorough and consistent one across the entire thing he was certainly the character that uh that you learned about the most by the end of it right right because billy bob thornton plays willie and willie is basically the same person at the beginning of the movie and the end of it uh the sound clip we played to start the show is the first lines spoken in the movie so you know exactly what you're getting set up for by that and he's that same guy all the way through. He has one small moment uh, that we'll get to of kind of an epiphany and a little tiny bit of growth um, mm -hmm. at the end. But not he's so repugnant and he's such a terrible guy throughout so much of the movie that it's hard to it's hard to care towards the end with what happens to him. But I think a lot of it is that's what the movie's going for too. It, it, it's. It's funny that you describe him that way. And when you played the audio this time, I remember it from watching the movie. I wasn't sure if after watching the whole thing and hearing that audio, if that audio was supposed to be happening to introduce him at the beginning of the movie or to <laughs> introduce him at the end of the movie. Because like you said, there wasn't that much of a difference. And where he ends up could describe that yeah, decently. Yeah, really, really could. Um, so, yeah, it's... And, it, Tough to say. Yeah, it was really interesting. One of the things that I kept on doing in my notes, and you talk about him not changing, as I was watching, I'm like, oh, okay, so this is the driving moment. I kept saying that multiple <laughs> times. Like, I, I, like uh, you know, you're getting worse. You're slowing down early on. When the, the very opening sequence where they do the first heist to set their characters and sort of introduce you to... Willie and God, I can't remember what's the elf's name. Uh, it's Marcus. Willie and Marcus, right? They introduce Willie and Marcus through them heisting a department store on December twenty fourth, yep. and uh, Willie says, "You're getting slow." And I'm like, "Okay, there's like, is that what's driving it? Like, what's happening? Driving the plot is going to be the Willie's lost his touch and he's going to regain it, and then right. he goes, "I'm out." I was like, "Oh." Is that the driving thing? <laughs> uh, no. And then, like, I kept on going. And I was like, oh, John Ritter showed up. It's, it's Bob Chapeska. Maybe he's the point that's going to save and turn the movie. No. All right. The Gilmore mom's showing up. Lauren Graham's showing up. Her character? No, she's not going to change it. Like, it kept on being like, oh, oh, nothing's going to change this nope. character. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, nothing's going to. And it's like the kid shows up, and you think maybe that's going to be it. And you keep waiting for the moment that the kid is going to be the one that changes something in him and, and he does, but it takes so much longer to happen 
than you right. expect. And it happens off screen. Kind of, yeah. Right. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's uh, it's a weird moment. We're gonna. I, I want to get to that, but I want to give that its own kind of moment for it because that's sort sure. of that's the the big turning point I think in the in the entirety of the movie. Um, but the cast is, you know, I mean, we've talked about a few of the names, and it's pretty good. Billy Bob Thornton is perfect in this type of role. Um, there's something weirdly charming about him despite the fact that he is just the sloppiest drunk and just terrible person but he has some sort of an ability to to sort of there's like an underlying charm to it and his voice I think works really well um mm-hmm. with that and kind of just he's he's uh very lanky and kind of gaunt and so it just fits this type of character which is why you know he did the remake of Bad News Bears. Uh, it was a couple years later. It was 05. And um, he can fit that role really well. So it's like, okay, I get it. And he wasn't the first choice, I guess. There were a few other names bandied about um, that. Bill Murray, I think, was one at one point. Um, but but I think he was kind of the perfect casting in that role. I can't really envision anyone else pulling off exactly what they did the way that they did this like i could see other actors that could play the um the drunk or you know the the down on their luck hitting rock bottom type but there's like a there's something in the way billy bob thornton looks throughout this whole movie too like he's a little sweaty all the time and like his hair is greasy and he just looks like he constantly needs a shower that that he just did so well um and uh he did. And it, yeah it reminds me i forget what book i read in my sophomore year in high school i think it was wuthering heights it was you know the classic this mm-hmm. is literature you need to read some of it yeah and an am my presentation of it because i sat uh, sat in front of the class i said you know the thing is it it it's well written I guess, but there's no one here I like. And if they don't want me to like anyone here, they did a good job. And the teacher said <laughs> that was insightful. And I feel like we got that here. Like, it's clear they didn't want us to like any of these guys. And right. Billy Bob did a great job of being unlikable. Um, I say that it, it almost his one of the challenges I had with his character. This was a one point during it. I decided, okay, this is a character study rather than a a movie plot like this is we're going to sure. invest ourselves in understanding or just experiencing Willie's character. I realized it was the lack of consequence show. Like no, he never had consequences for anything. Nothing. You're just throwing the, the after he gets out and he shows up and there's that gag where he's behind the bar because he said maybe I'll buy a bar and he is mixing a drink and it turns out he's stealing the drink. Yep, and get yelled at, and they throw him over the bar, and he walks away. Mm-hmm. That's it. No, like, and and that, no consequence. And we'll save this to the end bit, but even to the very end, zero consequence to any of his behavior. Yeah, which you know you're not as a person going to grow from any of that because you're just yeah. going to keep doing the same thing. But that bar scene is great because it first you have him talking about you know oh I might open a bar. And then you get him behind the bar in the shirt and he's mixing a drink. Mm -hmm. And what's great about it is it's two levels of subversion that come in that scene. 
the first one is you see him behind the bar and my immediate response when I see that, uh, and I had forgotten about that. It had been long enough since I'd seen the movie that like that scene, it just didn't make the impression uh, the first time around. And so my thought was like, Oh, that's right. No, he was like working at a bar and gets kicked out of it. And then you find out, no, Mm -hmm. he's not even working at the bar. He's just behind the bar stealing from it. Like that's fits his character so much more. And it's just hilarious. And of note, that was the cleanest he looked in the movie. Yes. (laughs) To your point, he actually on a bar on the beach, he doesn't look sweaty. Yeah. Somehow permanently sweaty and gross in this, in the Santa suit, which he wears constantly. Yeah, just all like the time. That was the, what I was thinking about the lack of consequence is the part of it. I was trying to remember, it was, is this like what 2003 was like? Because that was one of the things that happens to me with all older movies. Mm-hmm. Like, right, okay, let's place this in time. We don't have cell phones. People are smoking in bars. Yeah. Like, okay, I remember that stuff. Like, and then, like, like, okay, this is after 9-11, so there's actually some sort of big security and interdepartment police force stuff going on, but it's probably not part of the story yet because we haven't really accepted that kind of world as a media thing. Yeah. But then I was like, let's think, what does professionalism look like in 2003? Would they have let Santa eat at the food court? Yeah, in his Santa uniform, half in his Santa <laughs> uniform. Like, like no, like that would that, again. That's like all these minor transgressions that he did mm-hmm. professionally, interpersonally, you know, vocally with the things he said to people. Yeah, um, it was it was amazing the lack of consequence. And one of the things I wondered about with his character was how the people that stayed close to him put up with him. Like how did how did uh, how did Mr. Merman? I got Thurman the Merman was beautiful, the beautiful oh. name. Um, but how did like he was just relentlessly compassionate? But the um, the one that completely threw me off that felt just so weird and kind of a bizarre fantasy fulfillment for people who like to be bitter and mean was uh, Lauren Graham's character. Mm-hmm. Being like, uh, I've always wanted to screw Santa, <laughs> and so Let's that's go in enough. Your car. Yeah, yeah, and that that was in most movies that character would be a one-off joke for that mm-hmm. moment, and then you would never see that character again. But they right. keep her around, and the thing with that is, from from just a writing standpoint, she's paper thin because there's no, we have no background from her at all. Like the background we get is that she grew up with a Jewish father, so they never celebrated Christmas. Uh, right. That's as much as we get, and no, no reasoning behind like why she sticks around with him, what she sees in him. They never have a conversation really that's of any substance whatsoever. Um. So it's it's weird in that respect, and yeah, she's kind of a character that throws you off a little bit mm-hmm. because she just puts up with him and likes him for reasons. Right. So, right. You know. Well, and, you know, it has occurred to me too that if there was going to be a character, like there were so many bits in the movie about him liking large women. Mm-hmm. And she is like peak early aughts conventional attractive Hollywood. Right. Right. She's not Hollywood hot. She's like conventional attractive. She's right. The, the thing I know, I think of her for is because of Gilmore Girls as the mom. And like that's. Where she fits, but she's definitely not thick and 
I think the one of the things that happened in this, they tried to pile on crass jokes mm-hmm. that would, they thought would get people to laugh. And it's funny that he likes to have sex with large women, I guess, which was, um, you know, in modern, like in recent times, they would have that, but that would be his, you know, the woman he ended up spending time with. She would also be a large woman. It would just, it would fit thematically. Yeah. Instead um, of being just a joke. Um, yeah. You know, it was one of those where like, I like Lauren Graham, but mm-hmm. I just wish, from a writing standpoint, I wish there had been more character there. But then sure. this movie's already, you know, it's an hour and a half long. It would have been a different movie to have more character from her. Um, it's just, it is an odd character. Uh, yeah. It might have been a better movie. I'm not, and, and that's not even saying, like, I, you know, I, I get a kick out of this movie because it's just dumb fun. Um, mm-hmm. I laugh because of the ridiculousness of the jokes and it feels okay to laugh at these characters because they're just terrible people. Sure. So, you know, that's fine. But like Tony Cox as Marcus, who he's the other one, I think that changes the most throughout the movie because at the start of the movie, Marcus is look, he's a thief, obviously, right? He's, you know, they're, they're robbing, department stores of all their cash taking a bunch of merchandise and they do this every year and he's not you know he but he feels like and he acts as though he kind of cares about willie enough to be like dude you're you're falling apart you're terrible but you're gonna be back yeah get yourself together and we're gonna do this again next year and at first you kind of get the feel like all right it's mostly like we're gonna keep working together but still you almost expect that at some point he wants to have that heart to heart of like you need to you need to figure things out because you're gonna you're gonna end up going down a bad path, and boy does he have a turn <laughs> when they finally when uh, after Bernie Mac's character of Jin lets them in that he knows their scam, mm-hmm. uh, and then we have the scene where um, Marcus and his wife track down and like you know get get Jin. Uh, and smash him up with the car. I was like, oh, I forgot that that went there too. Like, I had forgotten a few things about this movie, and that was another one of them that I I remembered nobody being likable, but I completely forgot that like they went straight homicidal in that scene. Yeah, like casually homicidal. Like, yeah, like critiquing like if I had a, if I had uh, had a little more runway, I probably could have just could kill him outright. Like. <laughs> She was a horrible. She was one note of uh, oh of yeah. venom. Oh. Um, yeah, she was bad. Um, by the way, that was uh, Lauren Tom who played uh, his wife Lois. Um, mm-hmm. You might not recognize her by name, but you have heard her voice before. She plays Amy Wong in Futurama. Oh, that's spectacular! Mm-hmm. That is so funny. And I mean, she is. She is very one note in this, um, mm-hmm. but you know it's everyone's kind of one note. They're they're very two dimensional characters in here. Even the ones like Marcus and Jin, who have the most change from start to finish, are still very two dimensional. They go from one to two dimensions basically. Right. <laughs> Marcus Marcus just gets darker, and Jin we find out is go. He's the head of security, but he's not a good guy. 
And it's the stealing the iPad from the kid thing where you're like, okay, so so this guy's not actually like upstanding at all. Right. He's just going to take stuff from kids and then everything else that he does. But up until then, up until that scene with the with the MP3 player, he um, he seemed like he was just kind of going to be like the foil. He was going to be the one mm-hmm. to stop them. Right. Well, here's a question because it occurs to me that the – so he was a – he also was a, a chain smoker, and smoking plays a different role in movies now than they used to. Certain mm-hmm. than it used to certainly, but he always had these like giant, messy ash trees on the desk, and was smoking in this vaguely unappealing way. And I'm wondering if this was in a time frame where the you know there's sexy smoking, there's sophisticated smoking, there's gross smoking, and if that was a a hint at character early on in the writing um or if that was just me forgetting that that you know smoking was always you know it was always kind of a dirty habit when you're smoking inside i mean i think a little bit of both right i think it's because i do i do think that a lot of movies will use things like that as sort of um tipping their hand a little bit and kind of giving you just a, a little extra view of the character that then later on you can be like, oh, okay, now it makes sense. There were right. these were the signposts pointing us in the direction. Um, it's the whole, you right. know, that just, pedicure scene. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, because uh, it's one of those where on first watch I don't necessarily pay attention. I don't, I don't pay attention to things like that consciously. I see it. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's it's when I have to go back and think about it, or I watch it a second time, where I'm like, oh, okay, that that makes more sense now. He's you know he's always eating like the way he's eating oranges all the time, and there's always three or four oranges on his desk, and he's putting like and and he slurps them. Yeah, oh, I had forgotten about that, but yeah, I had like this physical reaction. <laughs> yeah, to those I did moments. too. I did um, too. Ooh. Um, that reminds me. I don't know if we want to transition to this now but put a, a pin in sort of sound and music I was really intrigued by in this movie. Yeah, well, I definitely want to get back to that too because yeah. I'm with you. Um, I did want to mention, uh, so John Ritter, this was his last live action film. Um, he did a oh, couple, wow. okay. there was a couple of uh, animated things that I think he had done voice work for um, that came out after this, but this was his last film. Uh, it's dedicated in his memory. He had died shortly shortly after filming this. He's not in the movie very much, and he's sort of forgotten by the end. Like, he just mm-hmm. stops being in scenes, and he's mentioned by name one other time. But he's so funny when he's on screen. He's so good for those few moments that he's there. Like, the scene in his office with Marcus and Willie, when he's trying to chastise them, and they and, and Willie flips it around on him and starts talking about right. you know, the picketing yeah. and bringing all the little people into it and all that kind of stuff. And just watching him like very quickly crumble, trying to catch up and figure out what's going on. It's, it just, it was such a well written and, and performed scene between these three very good comedic actors. Right. And that's when I think of John Ritter, that's his wheelhouse for comedy is mm-hmm. the captured and trying to squirm his way out and, <laughs> Certainly, my perspective is influenced by Three's Company. Oh yeah, and in my childhood, 
Um, I want to call out talking about scenes he was in, the one with him and Bernie Mac when he was talking about, you know, he's immaculate. Willie's immaculate. There's nothing about him. Mm-hmm. Um, he just likes, he's a sexual being. And, you know, it's just like nothing wrong except sex. And it was like, man's a, man's a sexual being. And I wouldn't want to take it away from them. And it's like that back and forth between <laughs> yeah. Bernie Mac and John Ritter. That was one of my few like laugh out loud moments watching this. It was, that was really funny. And prices were like, yeah, no, sex is a reasonable thing. We can't, can't deny that. It's, it's a basic human need. Um, it, although part of my brain was like, yes, and doing it in the changing room with the place you work is probably something you can chat, you can actually call someone out for. Yeah. You, yeah, don't there, ex- you don't There are lines that you don't want to cross, and that might be one of them. Um, yeah, because yeah, I had notes like John Ritter is a damn treasure, and he, he just makes this movie. Uh, what was the other one? The scene in the office, the you people moment. Uh, was great because right. that's always when done right. That's the type of joke that just it always seems to to make me laugh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just everything with Ritter was another note I had. Like yeah. just everything with him, uh, like his the, face, uh... his facial expressions, and it's like the the squirmy face that he would make when somebody mm-hmm. would say something. Because like him as a character didn't want to swear, so he would he like having him spelling things out that cracked me up. Right, I forgot about that. Uh, it's just, and and you know, it's it's a shame that uh, we lost him so young, because he's kind of an under underappreciated uh, comedic talent. Like certain, I mean, people that remember um, Three's Company and watch Three's Company, and I certainly watched a lot of reruns of it growing up. You, you but unfortunately, that's mostly what people know him for, and you just you, he doesn't get enough credit, I think, as being as funny as he could be um, from uh, from people that are a little bit like younger than me. Like there's not, mm-hmm. because he just didn't do enough things. He had, he was in the middle of doing uh, kind of a sitcom revival with the, was it Eight Simple Rules? I think it was called. Okay. It was like, yep. Uh, I think it was Eight Simple Rules for Dating My Teenage Daughter. And it was, uh, he was hilarious in that. It was him and Katie Seagal, I think was in that. Kaylee Cuoco was one of her early works pre big bang theory um and sadly he passed away while making that uh so they had to write him out of it but um yeah i just i i just feel like he needs more credit for how good he was because he was hilarious and every scene he was in he stole in this like from the very beginning when you first meet him and he's trying to talk to the other santa who's leaving uh right which again there's one of those things in the movie where they give you no explanation why they're switching Santas. Um, and he even says it's not about the money, but like, what was it then? You know, how did Marcus convince him to basically fire the Santa they've had for for years, the one that sings Burl Ives songs and does all this stuff to bring right, in Willie? Right. Well, and honestly, I mean, I, when John Murder's character said it's not about the money, I didn't believe him for a second. I was like, <laughs> obviously, like, like I'm, I'm right there. Um, this was another one of those things for me with like the there's a certain bit of fantasy fulfillment in for people who like to be miserable in this movie where the yeah like the guy that's really good at his job mm-hmm. and uh is is excellent and and loyal and they will just throw him away 
and I can just come in and be crass and, and like the, yeah. I can't remember if that was the conversation where John Ritter and 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 um, Willie had the back and forth about performance. Yes. You know what do you mean, like sexual performance? No, my I'm fine. I, my my dog's great. Yeah. No, like the, right into that conversation. Yep. Um, and he could be miserable and still, you know, again walk through with no consequences. Yep. Um, yeah. Um, it was very. Uh, uh, by the way, this cast has two Oscar winners in it. Can you name them? I the think I head. can name one. Let's okay. see. I, I one of them because I was looking uh, along the lines, thinking about the point of big girls. So Octavia Spencer. Yep. Right. Yes. Because I was like, and who I who has like the. Again, for completely forgot she was in this, and she's in for one yeah. scene for a throwaway gag uh, or a throwaway there's moment. A lot of, there's a lot of great, um, a lot of great actors just sparkled in this movie. Yeah, I'm trying to think of who would be the other. You'll did kick Billy yourself. Bob Thornton win an Oscar? He did. Yes. Okay. He yeah. went for Sling was Blade. Was it for Sling Blade? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which, incidentally, when I was looking around, uh, John Ritter was in Sling Blade too. Apparently, he was. Yeah. I have not Which seen is, that movie. I think I've seen it once, and I honestly remember nothing of it. So, I, I'm sh- I remember. I just remember the like, the, just the, like the sling blade. Mm-hmm. Yep, that, that's all I remember from it. I had friends that would throw around quotes from it ages ago. Yeah, um, but, um, but yeah, uh, Octavia Spencer just kind of popping up. Uh, I don't know where playing um, Opal <laughs> and right. when she gets up to walk and she's like grabbing her hip and stuff. It was just, mm-hmm. and apparently th- now there's a that sequel. Was actually to another this, one of, that was actually another one of my laugh out loud moments because <laughs> they had something that paid off. Yes. Right. That, yep. and that's for me, my favorite bits in comedy soundly shaped by Monty Python. It was like, hey, we mentioned something in the first three minutes, and yep. then 45 minutes later, it comes back in this funny way. And they that was the, like, I can't, I couldn't walk well straight for a week. Like, that was the a payoff of yes. a line earlier. Um, and then there were other things that just, like, um, there's a AJ Naidu. So the guy, I recognized yeah. him from Office Space. Yep, absolutely. Right? The, uh, and he was there, and he got angry, <laughs> and then like ran up, and I guess his purpose in there was to give the kid a reason to show up again. Yeah. After beating on Billy Bob Thornton and saying, I'm not gay, and that's the entirety of his existence in the movie. Right. It's like, the, what, the, what's the... I don't understand if that was... Was that supposed to be funny? Was that... Like character development? Is there going to be a funny payoff later? Like I'm lost. Yeah, there. That was one of the jokes. That was one of the moments that felt like it was thought up with no real payoff to it, and they just went mm-hmm. with it anyway. Yeah, and then maybe later on, just decided to like cut out anything else that could have referenced. I don't. It was it was odd because it did feel weirdly out of place. Like having just the moment in the bar where he's staring at him angrily across the bar would have been mm-hmm. plenty. You could have just sure. left it at that and it would have been a silly moment, but like who hasn't had a weird time where they've they've locked eyes with just the wrong person at the wrong time 
and then you go, you move on from it. Um, yeah, but I definitely, as soon as I see him, I'm like, oh, that's right. He was in office space. That's the only other thing I can think of him from. Uh, but right. he was and definitely I will admit, I will admit that my second thought is, okay, what's he going to do funny here? Yeah. Like, so you you started to mention there's a sequel, and I didn't realize that until right before we started recording tonight. Um, yeah, and the sequel didn't come out till 2016. Um, I have not seen it, uh, but it apparently has um, Willie and Marcus is back, um, mm-hmm. and the kid, and Kathy Bates plays um, Willie's mother. For some, okay, uh, and and I have no idea. It didn't review nearly as well as this one. You know, this kind of sits at sort of the most reviews and kind of ratings I see for it are in that kind of six and a half to low sevens uh, sort of range, where which makes sense for this movie. This this is not a uh, kind of a universal appeal film at all. Right. Um, whereas Bad Santa Two seems to sit kind of in the low mid to low fives uh, on a mm. lot of places that I see, where it was. I don't know if it was just retreading too much of the same thing or or what. I, I'm I'm really not sure. Um, but yeah, I just never I've never had the desire to really see it. So but yeah, well, it. and I wonder too how much of it if it was repeating a lot of the same comedy. That's what I wonder. Didn't hold up 15 years later or a dozen years later. Yeah, that's one of the things. Even we've been in our house. Uh, our son's 15 going to be 16 in January. We've started indoctrinating him in the Will Ferrell canon. Ah. Um, and he, Anchorman, he couldn't, he just had no interest in it. It did not, it it did not stand up as far as, I, Anchorman for me, I would have thought it had been perfect for a 15 year old. Right. But a lot of the jokes there are, are pretty crass and, and some, you know, vaguely sexist, vaguely racist in ways that felt cute and funny in the early aughts. Right. That are have been those rough edges have been polished off and you either need to I think now be a lot smoother and sort of precise or be even more jagged and, and crazy. Um yeah. I think about some of the like uh one of the types of movies that I really love are the Sort of high school romp, mm-hmm. like, sort of, yeah, um, like American Pie, American uh, Pie, can't hardly wait. Even yeah. and also like generation before with, um, sixteen candles and those. Yep. Uh, and recently, those have been what was the um, Booksmart? I think was one Booksmart. Was, uh, yeah, and and they're as they seem a little bit harder to land. But also, actually, I think about it like Eurotrip, which is somewhere on the tail end of the American yeah. Pie one. You know, yeah, they that get crass road trip, I think, and it's yeah, right. they it's weird. They right? get crass, because... but they get absurd. absurd. So I think yes. this is. I think that's one of the things I realized for my taste watching this. Bad Santa is crass and trying to be sort of gritty and and realistic and crass. Mm-hmm. And those other movies where I'm like, I don't mind crash jokes. Why do I not like these? Only because they're absurd and trying to be ridiculous. It's like it's like Batman '68 versus The Dark Knight, right? Like kind they're of going, yeah. yeah, same thing, but they're going for very different directions. Well, and it's interesting because apparently Todd Phillips, 
came in to direct a few scenes that were in this movie. Uh, I don't know if they were reshoots or what. Mm. And he would go on to do things like, um, uh, was it? He was uh, involved in the, the Hangover and things like that. Okay. So I feel as though, like those, the Hangover is an example of a lot of crass humor, but it's so over the top and absurd that it fits that right. It's that. Right. It's that Monty Python type thing where Monty Python can do something that can be crass, can be uh, weird, but it's so weird. It's so out there. Mm -hmm. It's so like the violence in Monty Python is so silly because somebody gets tapped by a sword and their entire arm falls off and it's just like a cartoonish little spray of blood coming out of there that you can't help but laugh at it. It's the, Mm -hmm. the ridiculous nature of it. Whereas you're right, this is feeling like it, like it wants to be a black comedy, but not quite stray too far into right. the the absurdity of the comedy. And that makes it a little tougher to land some of the jokes. Like there's still plenty of moments in this that I laugh at. The scene where they're boxing, where they're teaching the kid to box. Oh, yeah. It's so dumb. It's absolutely dumb. Just, just guys getting hit in the balls. Mm-hmm. But it's so silly at the same time. Like watching... Watching Tony Cox fall over the way that he does or just his reaction when Thurman kicks him and right. he just looks at he looks at Willie and then punches the kid right in the groin. Like it's so ridiculous, but I can't help but laugh at it. I also well, I think part of that too is that I had a friend of mine that when this movie came out we watched it and that scene broke him. He laughed so hard he started to hyperventilate. And we had to stop the movie. That's funny. He couldn't handle that scene. So there's some of that. It triggers that memory in me, too, when I watch it. And, and, and the great thing about that to me, that was, that was funny. That was literally classic slapstick. Mm-hmm. Right? And, uh, and there was a further payoff, right? That was the, it reminds me of the fact that you know, yeah. Thurman Merman has one of the strongest character arcs in the thing. With the big bully, when the bully showed up at the tail end, yeah, I was like, I know what's gonna happen. I know what's gonna happen. It's gonna be awesome. <laughs> I'm so excited for this. Like, it, I got myself all excited and ready to laugh at watching Mr. Bully. Like, and Mr. Bully might have might as well have worn a Cobra Kai vest. Like, he was yeah. like, so much of a '80s bad guy archetype. But watching him, I was like, he's gonna get kicked in the nuts, and it's gonna make me laugh. Yep, he was straight out of the Stephen King like uh, Bible for uh, for writing a bully. Mm-hmm. Was was that kid and that that whole group of skater kids? Um, oh yeah. Oh, so Thurman, who's credited as the kid in the movie, but we learn his name oh. is Thurman Merman. Uh, was played by Brett Kelly, and Brett Kelly did say in some interviews that like Billy Bob Thornton and um, Terry Zwigoff, the director, really tried to like protect him and just sort of like <laughs> like really treat him really well and sort of not let him get overexposed to too much crap because they thought that the kid was just he he was a nice kid. He's only 10 years old when he made this. Holy cow. Um and he does come back in the sequel. Uh he does he said that uh in one interview that he will let his hair grow out sometimes around Christmas time and people will recognize him because of the curly blonde hair. Okay, even that's now. hysterical. Um, the thing with him that's really, 
strange is the way the character is written throughout most of the movie. He is just very much like present, but not accounted for. Like he's there, but not really there. But then he has that moment where he says, I know you're not Santa Claus. I just thought you'd want to give me a gift because we're friends. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh, that's heartbreaking. Like this kid, no, like he's got the self-awareness. We're we're led to think he doesn't, but you realize he right. has the self-awareness. And was that before? That was before he gave him the present. Yes. So two things about that. Like to to agree with you aggressively on on Thurman Thurman Merman. Uh, like, I think I described him as um, sort of aggressively compassionate. Like, he was yes. so kind in this way that felt like they were kind of mocking him in the writing mm-hmm. because he was so kind. So clearly he was an idiot. But then that moment was a real snap. Um, and that was before he gave the gift. Yes. The gift which I... Do you know why a wooden pickle would be a good gift for Willie? I have no clue why other than that's just what the kid wanted to give him, but it was him making it. And I think that that's, and there's a callback too, because we saw the scene earlier where he cut himself and Mm -hmm. then I don't know how you felt when you were watching the first time, but it's like they show him wash the the wound out or try to, and then that's it. And it's not mentioned again. And I will admit they had broken me as far as expecting anything <laughs> to relate to something in the past or future. Like I did, I was like, "Oh, that just happened." <laughs> so then to bring it back later, where it's like, "I didn't paint it brown. That's blood from when I cut myself making it for you." And it's like, "Oh, geez." So, so the, aggressive compassion, I think, is the right way to, to describe this kid. And and that whole that bit right there, it's making me think. It's probably not the last third. It's probably like the last fifth of the movie is really well done mm-hmm. like the, there's that bit and then that gets that gets called back at the very end as well yeah with the you know sorry about my present probably had some blood on it but i guess you know that makes us even yeah <laughs> um and and so that was pulled through nicely and the and another like rolling into the end the the letter which also hey i need you to hand this letter off like mm-hmm. that was another oh. thing that I did I did not expect to pay off. Like they had they had trained me to that point that there are no payoffs and then there was payoff after payoff after payoff in that last 20% of the movie which actually makes me think going into it or going into that the end I was like, "Oh, like this just not liking this." But then getting the end there were these payoffs and and things pulled through. Yeah, that didn't turn me to being enthusiastic about the movie, but I'm like, oh no, that was I like that was great. They the things paid off. There was there was plot and character that evolved. Yeah, and I think that's why I kind of can agree with like the mid six to seven if you're going to rate it on a scale of ten, because there's there's definitely some funny moments. There's definitely some things that that can work, and there's a kind of a seed of a really cool idea of a redemption type story, but there's so much of the movie, the first hour of the hour and 40 minute movie that doesn't move any story along and really Mm -hmm. just 
spends an hour beating us down that these are terrible people that we shouldn't like. Oh yeah, I actually wrote down where is it? Um, I think it was like the first ten minutes. The first ten minutes were that heist. I think it might have been less than that, but it seemed like forever. Yeah, like it was interminable. And yeah, it was. Uh, I guess twenty eight minutes was in the bar when he had uh, right after he had sex, and mm-hmm. like. Yeah, everything up to that point had been basically, hey, these are bad people. This yeah. is just, Santa's bad. It's in the title. We want to make sure you get that. Yeah, yeah, we're going to hammer that point home. And I think that last 20 minutes trying to then create sort of, he has the epiphany moment and he, he mm-hmm. he's going to get the kid the, uh, you know, they have the little montage where he and Sue is her name, uh, Lauren Graham's character, mm-hmm. although she's never right. mentioned. They never say her name in the movie. That's just her credit. I mean, why would they? Uh, sure. I mean, who, what's a, who has a name? But it's like mm-hmm. that that Willie and Thurman and Sue having, you know, making popcorn and doing all that stuff. Right. It's like, okay, but this is a little too little too late. Like, I'm not, yeah. it's, it's hard to buy that. So take that and spread that out. Make the movie more about... That, you know, give us the the turn of Marcus earlier and mm-hmm. and you can keep kind of the same story beats, just pick up the pacing a little bit and move that along so that we have more time with Willie maybe having a bit of that epiphany, maybe have his rock bottom moment, which for those of you who haven't seen the movie, there is a, there is a moment where Willie hits rock bottom and sits in a garage with a hose going from the exhaust pipe of the car into the car like he's had enough and the kid comes in Mm -hmm. and wakes him up and ends up that's where Willie has his kind of turning moment because the kid's got a black eye and then we just cut to him beating the crap out of the kids that bullied him have that happen earlier in the movie so that by the end of the movie we actually care about Willie and we maybe start to I think like him is too much but not actively despise him Mm-hmm. would be would I think make for a better movie. And that's not to say this is bad, um but it could have been better. Well, you said something in there that occurred to me as well, which you said like have it make have the beats hit a little sooner, have it move mm-hmm. a little faster. Uh, I've heard people describe sort of action movies go, going hard and fast now. Like you can't slowly get into a movie. And I've noticed that looking at older movies and trying to get my kids to watch older movies yep. where it's an adventure or an action movie and it takes too long to get into what's going on. Yeah. And what I realize is the similar thing is true with character development. Like I want to, I don't want to steep and stew in who this person is for 45 minutes before we see some sort of movement. You know, you can, and maybe it's, I think it has a lot to do with how movies are made now and the or actually probably even more accurately how you know TV streaming series are made now because those are the ones where we get the most character development and beats yeah um, that, that we've gotten I've gotten accustomed to a faster rhythm of introduction and development than this th- movie does I think so I for me the part like I don't mind a slow burn I don't mind building up to things but if you're going to spend an hour of your runtime p- 
pointing out how terrible Willie is, how bad of a person Marcus is and his wife and Jin and all these characters, mm -hmm. you can't then say, all right, well, we're going to wrap it all up in half an hour. It's got to then be a two-hour movie because we need enough sure. time. We, If you're going to spend that much time beating us down, we need enough time to recover from that and come back around. So yeah. it's easier to have, if you're going to keep your movie at an hour 30, hour 40, to just pace that better so that we have enough time to believe in this redemption instead of being like, well, that guy didn't earn anything. Because it comes back to your no consequences. There's right. no consequences yeah. for anything Willie does. It doesn't matter if it's him drinking in the parking lot in his Santa costume and then breaking the, the windshield of a random car with the bottle and setting off mm -hmm. the alarm. No one does anything about that. Uh, right. No one does anything about him grabbing all the keys from the valet station and just, which that one cr cracked me up where he just grabs a handful of keys and starts walking through the lot oh, yeah. trying to find the car that he wants to steal. Um, but like no, no consequences, consequences for, for that. Yeah. In the fantasy. Yep, exactly. None. So there's Although no. That was a kind of a funny twist there. That was a, a twist on expectations because the, the, it was like, oh no, the kid peed on Santa. <laughs> oh no. No. Santa peed on himself. Yeah. But um, I think they played that joke like three times. Or at least it feels like they went back to that well. I know they did at least one other time. Uh, when he has his complete meltdown, when he shows up uh, with the broken wine bottle uh, coming up right. the escalator, and then he mm -hmm. falls over top of everything. And that, again, that's him hitting his bottom, right? That's him just like... Sure. And that happens so late in the movie that once again it doesn't feel like he had enough time to recover from that like that should have either been the last thing that happened to him or it should have happened earlier and give us time to recover from it and move forward in our in our plot points in our story right. beats again this is just one guy's opinion uh you know talking on the internet but I, that's what i would have liked to have seen out of it um having said that i still do enjoy the movie and there's there's some good craft going on here cuz you wanted you mentioned audio and music yeah earlier can, can um, i ask one before we move to audio and music and we absolutely. talk about the wrap-up there, there are two things about that one like what solidified the parade of lack of consequences he actually gets shot like five times in the back by yeah. the police at the end there crawling to the house i was like oh wow that is a bold choice like bad santa's dead mm -hmm. and i was like oh no he's not like again he just got multiple wounds from the police, still no consequence, except there was a little bit of blood on the elephant. Yeah. And this is something that I was trying to remember I was kind of obsessed with during the moment and laughing. So he, uh, Thurman the Merman, says, you know, you know how I said I want a pink elephant? Well, I don't want a pink elephant. I want a purple elephant. Yep. And then he says, you know what? I don't want a pink elephant or a purple elephant. I want an ape that can beat up the bullies. Yeah. And that was part of the, part of that rock bottom. Willie goes and sees the elephants as he's running away from the police. And there's pink ones and the purple ones. And he can't remember. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure he grabbed the wrong one. Oh yeah. He definitely went with the pink one. <laughs> he grabbed the wrong color. And that's all I could think about. I'm like, <laughs> you're, you're like, Oh my word. You're so, you're trying to be so, Sweet you and compassionate and almost there. Still can't quite get nope. Still can't quite get there. Um but that was that was something that I got caught up with in that last moment. I was like, oh, that's so funny. 
that he just still still couldn't make it. But you were going to transition to the sounded music. Yeah, and you know, the sound design in this is it's not the best I've ever heard, but there are moments where they do stuff like Bernie Mac's character when he's eating oranges or when he's when he's whatever he's doing, they seem to amp that sound up and give you that visceral reaction uh, of just kind of they do that with um, with Willie when he's eating in the food court and he's eating his salad, um, which just that one that really grosses me out when people eat like that, where it's just you're just mm-hmm. chewing, you just stuff too much food in your mouth and then you're just chewing with your mouth open and letting stuff fall out of it. Um, but there, there's like the sounds of him eating and all of that. It, it just hammered home, uh, made you uncomfortable the whole time. So, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was again, another layer into sort of the, that sweaty unkept. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dirtiness of the world they were creating. Which for me was an interesting counterpoint to they used the Christmas music really well. Yeah. The the Christmas music was not just here's some Christmas music in the background. The songs really hit the beats of the show that were happening at the time. Yes, they did. And that was a that was a really neat thing for me doing that until I, I actually there was one time where they put something from the Nutcracker in um, and I misheard it as oh. Sleeping Beauty, which was <laughs> wrong. And that was right, like, I think that was right around the time when he, uh, right, right near his rock bottom, like the, the advent calendar thing mm-hmm. where he ate all the candy out of it, which was right before he really got to his worst spot. Yeah, and, and there again, by the way, that was a scene where, when it happens in the moment, you're like, oh, okay, this guy's just terrible. He's ripping open mm-hmm. the kid's advent calendar. But then the next morning when he saw it and he saw the aftermath of it, there's that he has a moment of self-realization of like, oh, what have I done? But again, yeah. it's like, that's it. And then we forget about it for another 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's where I just, I want stuff like that to actually carry over. Because they paid off some jokes, but they didn't pay off that, that growth. The way that I would have yeah. wanted. Well, and and they, um, I mean, they ended up paying that off at the one point where I mean, partially again, like the wrong elephant, where he did patch up the like, like, kids. Like, anyone see my calendar? Yeah, and he patched it up and he stuck a candy corn in there because that was <laughs> or, a, what was the other one? Uh, an aspirin. There's like a Nyquil, right? <laughs> or an Advil um, liquid gel. Trying to find the time frame of that reminded me of another point. Probably the biggest laugh I had during the whole movie, which was if you remember when he went into the house, went into the, the Merman house, it's like Santa needs to hang out for a while. It's like, don't you stay in the North Pole? Yeah, no, Mrs. North Pole, you know, Mrs. Santa kicked me out. Why? Well, yeah. I was sleeping with Mrs. Santa's sister. Yes. And then at some point, again, in that final 20%, Thurman I know. I know goes to say. Sue and goes, Hey, Mrs. Santa's. Hey, Mrs. Santa's sister. How are you doing? Or something <laughs> like, like. It was again. The kid's not an idiot. He's like, I no. know you're having sex with Santa, 
and he told me who he's having sex with. So obviously, that's who you, you are, are. Mr. Yeah. Santa's sister. That was a well done. And again, that's where there's there's some really really good comedic writing in here. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those moments. Um, also, by the way, did you recognize Grandma? I forgot to mention this earlier. I, you know, it's funny. I I recognize her vaguely, but I don't know what I know her from. That is an uncredited Cloris Leachman playing Grandma. Oh, crap. Okay. And that was one I'd completely forgotten she was in this. And she has almost no lines. Basically, she just says a few times, I'll make you some sandwiches. Yep. Um, and that's it. But, yeah, that was Cloris Leachman. She was, I mean, she's been in a ton of stuff. Um, I did recognize Alex Borstein. Yes. For some, like, <laughs> she's, she's very unique though it was it was pretty she stands out well that was funny um that was part of what made me think oh look at this interesting cast like that's a cameo clearly mm-hmm. yeah and, and uh and and i i forgot that she was like i forgot all these cameos her billy gardell um the the other mall santa or department store santa was tom mcgowan um and even the sheriff at the end when the police show up that was uh john bonnell and he is he is an actual police sheriff and does a bunch or used to do a bunch of those like um you know uh highway patrol high speed chase like TV series where he would okay. be the one uh, introducing them you'd see him on like the old court TV and stuff like that that was that guy oh that's funny uh so i just thought that was hilarious um and uh Matt Walsh also is herb the the um the neighbor that comes over that tells him about putting out the lights. Oh, right. Yeah. Which again, I was, I was like, Oh, paid geez, off in the last 20%. It did. It did. Right? I was like, Oh, look, payoff. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's weird because it is, it, it, it is a movie that has its funny moments uh, and it's got good use of music. And I think that now Terry Zwigoff, who directed this, uh, his previous movie to this was ghost world, which is, a very different, but very also very interesting movie. Um, but that was kind of the, that. He did Ghost World. He did this movie. Um, he did Art School Confidential. Uh, but that was kind of it for him um, in terms of like film. He did a TV movie from a couple of years ago called Budding Prospects. Uh, but he wasn't. Uh, he was more into the kind of the underground comic scene. He did some stuff with like. Um, uh, he did a movie called Crumb in 1994 about okay. uh, about uh, what's his name uh, Robert Crumb, the cartoonist. And isn't Ghost World based on a comic as well? Ghost World was based on a comic, yes. Um, and that was kind of it. Like he just kind of got out of directing films. Um, so it's weird to think he did Ghost World, he did Bad Santa, and that was kind of like Art School Confidential. So that was. 2001 to 2006, and he was like, oh, I'm done. I'm just going to move on. Yeah. But, um, which is weird because I think he has a, a decent eye for stuff. I think that the direction of the, the movies are, you know, this movie is pretty good. My main complaints with it are, are script based more than anything. Like, I feel like they could have punched this script up and just tightened it up and made it a little bit better. Um, yeah. Having said that, there are some moments that just make you laugh. It's also, it's very, very crass. And it is not 
a movie for everyone. I I can 100% see where people wouldn't like this just because of the crude humor in it and and right. the fact that it's centered around Christmas because this is kind of this had me thinking about um kind of alternative Christmas movies. Sort of the anti-Christmas movie where it's set around Christmas, sure. it's got the themes but it's not um it's not your miracle on 34th street it's not a christmas story it's things like this or um one that i watched a couple years ago fat man uh with Mm -hmm. uh, mel gibson where he's playing santa claus okay but he's um he's not your traditional santa claus he's like kind of a grumpy old angry santa and um he wants to retire and the the plot of the movie revolves around a kid a rich kid doesn't get the toy that he wants so he puts a hit out on santa Oh my word! Okay, um, there's you know th- those kinds of movies where it's like it's clearly a Christmas based movie, but it's not your traditional Christmas movie. Not even in a Die Hard sense, where like right. having the debate of is Die Hard a Christmas movie or not. It's more of no Bad Santa is meant to be uh, a Christmas season type of movie, but the like the antithesis of that. Right, but it's um, still so. It makes me think of. I guess we we had talked for a second about using the ref, which I've seen bits and pieces of. Yep. I think it's one of the movies I've seen, but don't recall really well. But again, that one, you know, it's bad stuff around Christmas, but also there's, there feels like more of a redemption arc there. And even with this, like being an anti-Christmas movie, they, they couldn't manage to not have the redemption in the end. Like if yeah. if they had instead of gone redeeming, gone completely over the deep end, um, I probably would have had a similar perspective on it, which is the first three or the first four fifths could have been a lot faster and tighter, and that last bit was amazing uh, or or at least intriguing. Yeah, uh, but they did. I saw one of the critiques I read after I watched it was that it didn't fulfill its promise of being fully the anti-holiday movie. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, it's interesting to say, like, I wonder if, in your opinion, if they hadn't had that coda where he gets, he sends the kid the letter, Mm -hmm. um, and instead we get something along the lines of like, you know, Willie was shot and killed and he dies at the end of this. How does that, like, how does that change the movie for you when you're watching it? Because I feel like that's more of the logical conclusion of what would have happened. And kind of more fitting with the first hour of the movie that we saw. Yeah. Well, and I think part of it, I probably would have gone like, holy crap, consequence. Like the consequence finally happened. But I think it would have felt a little bit out of place because so much of the movie up to that point had lacked any consequence. And so you go for, it would have been like, zero to a hundred as far as consequences go but you got no consequences and then you're dead yeah but i do um, wonder if you you have no consequences no consequences he starts to come around he's starting mm-hmm. to feel some empathy for another person right because he didn't even really feel any empathy towards sue he, right for him that was just a sexual thing and that was basically it mm-hmm. um and then for him to start to feel this empathy for thurman to the point where, you know, he tries to teach him how to um, stick up for himself. And, like, 
he'll say these horrible things to Thurman, but the second Thurman says it about himself, he's like, you got to stop doing that. You can't do that. Right. To then have the consequences hit, I almost feel like that's more earned and like mm. that's a braver choice in the writing than going the route that they did. I don't know. It, it, it's hard to say. Like, because there is a little kind of both. Um, I think that that having it end the way that it did works. It makes sense. Um, it does lead to a couple of funny lines right at the end there. Um, you know, the whole thing of like, I sent her some money. Maybe if you, you treat her nice, she'll buy you something. Uh, right. I get to work with uh, sensitivity training uh, with the police because uh, the whole, you know, shooting an unarmed Santa Claus uh, was more embarrassing for them than Rodney King. Um like that kind of stuff. Those are those are funny jokes. I just, I it's weird. I think if it's not a, a Hollywood movie, I think an independent movie, hmm. they might go that route. Like, sure. Like it almost feels as though if you took the humor out of it, like a, I don't even want to say Darren Aronofsky, but like that kind of thing where you know these movies that have these kind of downer endings. Like it feels right. like it could have been that if it was more trying to to appeal to the art house crowd with that black comedy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's an interesting thing to think about and just sort of play out in your head of like, oh, I wonder how that would feel. I wonder how different that would have been having that be the payoff in the end of the movie because it is the ultimate consequence for everything. It's like he, he instead of getting consequences along the way, it just all built up and then all came due at the same time with him trying to right. crawl to the kid's house with the pink elephant. So, you know, it's, it's an interesting movie. Um, you have to, I feel like this is a movie that you have to know somebody well to recommend to them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because there are, there are crass comedies and then there's this, which is like American Pie, for instance, a lot of crass humor in that, but most of it is more lighthearted. This feels actively mean in a lot of parts mm-hmm. and so that's like American really pie is american pie is crass with a heart of gold yes and, and this is this is even when it's uplifting the heart is made of blood-stained pickle wood right? <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> exactly that um however saying that i did capture a couple a couple clips of audio not a lot because there's not a lot that's really playable uh <laughs> from Indeed. the movie I was going to um, ask you uh, beforehand what uh, what's the vocabulary rating for the show because hot damn. Oh. Well, uh, I've got three that I can play. Um, and the first one was I just it's the way he delivers his lines when he's driving uh, the kid home for the first time. And of course, you got the kid just asking him question after question. But it's Billy Bob, it's Willie saying this to him. The right height, you're right there to grab his balls. Like talking about thanks for helping me because you're the right height, you're right there. And the kid just, it just sails right over his head. He has no idea. Um, This clip was, it's just the way, again, the way he delivers this when he comes home from the strip club. So he's at the strip club after stealing all the money and he's um, doing the scratchers right there in the, in, in, in it and all that. And he goes home with the dancer. And as soon as they walk into his place and he's like, all right, I need to listen to my messages and you need to go take a shower. And she says, what? I'm a dancer. And, and then he t- says this. 
Yeah, well, you smell like a bomb's nutsack. And I just, I'm like, oof, oof, that's rough, but I can't also help but chuckle because it's so ridiculous, such a ridiculous thing to say. It's horrible. It is. But it is. And I was like, wait a minute, you probably paid her 20 bucks to rub up against your nutsack earlier in the night. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Are you the bum? Are you the bum whose nutsack she smells like? Yes, that is <laughs> that is exactly it. And then if I didn't catch if I didn't capture at least one John Ritter moment, I wouldn't feel right about myself. And so there was this one. And I heard his voice saying, that's right. You ain't going to. S-H-I-T right for a month. <laughs> and it's when you're watching it too, he's about to say it and then he stops himself and then he has to quickly spell it out. And it's just his, his delivery of it is so perfect because he like, it's, it's painful for him to even say these things. And he, you can hear it in his voice where he gets just a little bit quieter when he's mm-hmm. saying it. And then he has to kind of finish up and it's just, Oh, if, if nothing else, Search YouTube for just John Ritter moments from this movie, and it's worth it. They're so good. They're really so good. Even the one where uh, Bernie Mac says something, and it just cuts to Ritter, and he's just giving that like lemon, like pain face of like, oh, oh yeah, oh I don't even want to think about that. Oh, uh, it just cracked me up. So um, yeah, I mean, Bad Santa is not your typical Christmas movie. Um, but for, for certain people out there, I think it's kind of a Christmas tradition uh, almost. Um, it, it is one of, when I think of the anti-Christmas movies, this is one that comes up. Um, sure. There's this, there's... Uh, because I, I wouldn't even put like the Christmas horror movies in that kind of a boat necessarily. Those are a different beast altogether. Um, yeah. This is like, oh, well, you want your... your uplifting, uh, wholesome Hallmark family Christmas. Well, this is the opposite of that. This is everything different about that. It's kind of, kind of punk rock Christmas in that way. Right. Which is ironic that the bullies in it are punk rock, uh, looking skater kids that get beat up by Santa Claus, which there again was a, a moment in the movie, a line that he says when he's sitting in the locker room with Marcus after that scene where you kind of like the absurdity of it makes you laugh, but it's also like, oh man, when he says, "Yeah, I beat up some kids today," it made me feel right. good about myself, <laughs> like I was doing something constructive for the first time. And and just and there again, this is before Marcus has his turn, where we find out that he'll like literally kill people, um, mm-hmm. and it's Marcus looking at him like, "You need years of therapy." So you're led to believe, like, maybe Marcus isn't the worst person. He just is a thief. Like, there are, you can be a thief and not be uh, what Marcus and his wife turn out to be, which is killers. <laughs> so, yeah. but but that moment, like, because of the way that shot, and it's, it's Willie literally saying these words and feeling good about himself. Like, I beat up some kids today, and, I f- you know, it made me feel good. And you just see Marcus in the background, look at him. And even when it's out of focus, you can see the look on his face of like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, that was a moment where I laughed and also felt bad about myself at the same time. <laughs> yes, that's where you like laugh it was, uncomfortably. It was, yeah, it was uncomfortably funny. Like I'm laughing at this. I shouldn't be laughing at it. I'm definitely uh, putting myself in a position to go to hell over laughing about this. But 
Damn it, that's funny. I need you to stop, but it's really funny. <laughs> so that's Bad Santa. Bad, uh, it, like I say, it's fine. It's it's good. I wouldn't run out and tell people, oh, it's you know the best like Christmas comedy or even dark Christmas comedy. But it's if you are one that can deal with the the crudeness of the humor, I think it's worth watching at least once, if for nothing else than to say that you saw it. Um, but you know, it's it's not. I am not a like, oh, you got to watch Bad Santa. It's the funniest movie ever type person myself. Right. Yeah, no, I would. I don't think there's anyone that I would say I would certainly not going to make my child watch this. Um, <laughs> and the, I'm going to make him watch American Pie at some point in time. Although, or, or trying to think of what movie, what's the worst movie I'm going to make my son watch someday? <laughs> Something about Mary, probably. Mm, um, yeah. Kind of any uh, any Zucker brothers, really. Something about Mary, um, Kingpin. Uh, there's a few few choices there. <laughs> Manos, Hand of Fate. I don't... Uh, I'm not sure that I'm ready for that movie. No, um, no one is. No one is. But, uh, but yeah, no, it was it's definitely worthwhile. And I think there are certain people I could find myself... Like, there's some people where you legitimately think, yeah, you should try a shot of Malort. And like, <laughs> I think there's some people who are legitimate. You're like, yeah, you should, Bad Santa would be a movie that would, would be good for you to experience. Oh, absolutely. Um, there are definitely, I know people, I, I do know people that I would say, go watch Bad Santa. Mm-hmm. You'll you'll like it. Um, right. For sure. Uh, but in the general population, I would be like, yeah, you know, I have to know the person. I, I wouldn't right. recommend this to somebody without knowing them well enough to know that they so a lot of movies I can be like, yeah, watch that. Yes, it's got universal appeal. This does not have universal appeal mm-hmm. really at all. So but that's fine. Not all not every movie has to. Um to be good or be enjoyable. Uh and I'm fine with that. That's what I love about movies. That's why I like talking about them. And it seems it feels as though you're kind of on the same page as me. Like there were moments you liked, but it wasn't. Uh, it's not something you're going to put in your regular holiday rotation. Yeah, no, I'm <laughs> not going to go into the holiday rotation. Um, although I will admit, I'm now intrigued to watch the sequel. Like I might take some time and watch Bad Santa Two just to see how it changes or stays the same compared to this, and if it somehow improves or just keeps the same pace i'm uh, i'm with you a little bit on that because i want to know like well why is he back to his boozing ways if he had right. any growth at the end of this movie especially whatever it is 12 13 years later so you know maybe there's a little bit of that to it too um but hey i'm i'm glad that you got to watch it and we can check it yeah, off your list you. now you can say you've seen bad santa indeed i can <laughs> Um, but thank you so much for being here this week. This is fun. I, I love having you on. You're always welcome. Uh, so it was great when I was looking through and, uh, you know, a while back and I'm like, I got to get a hold of Joe again. It's been, it's been long enough now, uh, that, uh, we need to get him back on here. So, um, yeah, that's really fun. I have... missed... Go ahead. I, was, I missed the week before, um, Cage of Palooza this year. I was gonna say I did. I was doing that for a couple oh, of years right. in a row, but yeah. I wasn't able to get there this time. But this is nice. Christmas time is 
like I said, we love Christmas in our house. And so watching new Christmas stuff. And actually that's a point we're making this year is watching more Christmas stuff. And there's a bunch of different Christmas stuff that's just coming out this year, which is fun, but also going back and checking out some of the old stuff either that we haven't seen or that we haven't watched in years. So this was a great opportunity to check something out. Excellent. Well, I'm glad that we got to do that. And, uh, thank you for being on. Have you got anything you're working on that you want to let people know about? Absolutely. Yeah. I am just about to wrap up a 12 episode season of my show, which is called mandatory cocktail hour. I've been given feedback that is disappointingly not about drinking. It's actually <laughs> the name is a riff on the sort of mandatory social event that people have at conferences and yeah. conventions. Uh, my background, I have a doctorate in so in adult learning and specialize in how people learn informally and socially. Mm-hmm. And so my show is about our networks and how we learn and grow together. And I just finished recording the last episode in a series about collaboration. I talked to some really amazing people. One of the co-founders of uh, Freestyle Love Supreme. He's actually a Tony Award winner, which was kind of exciting. Oh, nice. I talked to some comic book writers and artists out in Hollywood, including, um, what name is all of a sudden blanking? Jason Inman and Ashley Victoria Robinson, who are friends of the Tadpool. Um, And some really interesting stories. If you're intrigued about how people learn and how people collaborate, be a really good show to listen to and moving forward i'm going to get back into some of my more standard shows with talking to people about how their connections have helped them develop which hopefully helps people understand how you can grow in your career and your learning through the people around you very cool excellent and mandatory cocktail hour yes indeed i love it that's a great name too i even if it doesn't have to do with drinking i think that's a great name because i'm while I don't have a ton of experience with those, I know of those. The mm-hmm. the mandatory, you know, we're having this thing. You've got to be there. Oh, oh, all right, fine. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, what, mandatory fun time is a weird Al song, so I couldn't yeah. call it that. <laughs> but it's it's the same energy. Yes, nice, excellent. Very, very, very cool. Mandatory cocktail. I'll definitely check that out. Now, this show that you're listening to here, Wait You Haven't Seen, I do record live Sunday nights at twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. If you want to check it out uh, while it's while it's happening live, you can do that. Uh, there are video on demand after the fact, or you can check out the video of it on YouTube. Uh, it goes up a day or two later. Um, that's YouTube. It's at TV's Travis on YouTube, and you'll find them there. Uh, the show as a podcast comes out on Wednesdays, anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, you can go to tvstravis.com and search or and, and get the, uh, the, the ways to support the show as well as subscribe to the show right there if you don't find it easily on your podcasting platform of choice. But it is available on Apple, Google, Spotify, all of those. Um, the show has a Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash WYHS, uh, as little as $1 a show. And you can help support it, keep it going. I am working on uh, exclusive Patreon-only kind of uh, video stuff, as well as Discord channel um, perks and kind of monthly movie watch parties that we'll do. Um, uh, what I want to do with those is things where it's kind of a catch-up night. Uh, for, for fans of the show that maybe skip episodes for movies they haven't seen yet, have a monthly uh, kind of catch-up night where we pick a movie and we watch that from the back catalog. So definitely check that out if you want to. Um, 
And also ratings and reviews if you listen to it on Apple or Google or Spotify. Uh, that helps make the show more discoverable. So I absolutely appreciate that uh, anytime you can do that. This uh, next week, I have um, my friend Drew coming back, and we are working on what movie we're going to watch. We've had uh, some heated debate over what we want to do exactly. Because um, it's and, and it's more of just tossing ideas back and forth, and we haven't nailed one down yet. But he's coming back for that uh, as we're making the march to 200. I am almost to 200 episodes now, um, which is a number I never thought I'd actually get to. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's coming up. That'll be just, just after the first of the year. Uh, so, yeah, Joe, thank you so much for being here this week. Again, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And we'll definitely we'll have you back anytime. Uh, so I got to remember to get you for the week before Cajapalooza. You got to lead into Cajapalooza with Joe. Got some sort of. <laughs> so thank that... you. Uh, yep. Thanks. And, uh, as far as next week with Drew, that's coming up. So until then, remember, enjoy your movies and let's be excellent to each other. This has been wait. You haven't seen. fucking leave here. Pants are awful baggy. You got anything in there? Yeah, my dick. You want to see it? Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>